Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. What a wonderful day. It rained today, you know that? And it's raining in here. We're not jumping over pews, running aisles, and we have no chandeliers anymore to swing from, so we don't have any of that. But there's something here tonight. There's something here tonight. They tell us this is Palm Sunday. That's what I've heard it called, Palm Sunday, because of the events and the palms, the fronds we waved this morning. Well, I've got two palms. psalmist had said in Psalm 47 clap your hands all you people and shout with a voice of triumph I feel triumphant tonight triumphant tonight I have a long I have a short text but a long context so do y'all want to stand while I read it y'all want to step here while I read it In the book of Exodus, chapter 12, let us direct our attention this evening. Exodus, chapter 12, we're going to begin with the very first verse and read our context so we can get to our text. The Bible reads, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, now in this context there are so many powerful statements that are so applicable, could be so applicable to what's going on today in the church and with us. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the, obviously it wasn't January the 1st. This is a new year. It might be starting in July, but to the Jews, it's a new year. You know, their year doesn't start January 1. But anyway, speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man, every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep 
are from the goats. You shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it upon the or on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden it all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you'll eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein you are. And when I see the blood, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you. The plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. God of heaven, thank you tonight. What a privilege, what a blessing, what an honor to be involved in kingdom work, to be a recipient of your rich and wonderful blessings. Lord, help us tonight as we look back to that, that day when you took our sins upon your own, nailed them to the cross with your body, shed your blood that I could be washed in that blood and I could have my sins cleansed by that blood. Oh, Lord, you are the perfect lamb. I thank you for the sacrifice you made for us that we could know the joys and the blessings of salvation tonight. We're not worthy of it, but you have made us worthy by your mercies. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. O Lamb of God, thank you. Hallelujah. 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 Behold the Lamb. You may be seated. Behold the Lamb. When this passage was given, the statement that is given here by Moses to the people of Israel, 215 years prior to that, there had been a famine in the land, and it had reached all the way over to Canaan land, the land of promise. Jacob, along with his 11 sons, that 12th son he thought was dead, that 11 sons found out that there was food in Egypt. You know the story. So he sent some of those sons to Egypt to get some food for his family. And then he finds out the shocking news that the governor of Egypt 
is none other than Joseph, his own son, to whom he had given the robe of many colors. Of course, this shocked him, but excited him as well. And so he gets his family together. Finally, when he finds out everything, Joseph sends him some wagons to move them all to Egypt. It's interesting. So he gets his family together, and they move. Sixty-six souls, according to the book of Genesis 46 and verse 26. Sixty-six souls move from Canaan, the land of promise, where they belong, moved them all the way to Egypt, and there they finally have the grand reunion, Jacob does, with Joseph as they embrace one another and cry on one another's shoulder that they had not, he had not, well, neither one had expected for that day to come, but it is. And now with Joseph's wife and two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, there are 70 souls that have located in Egypt. So with a glad, happy reunion, instead of Jacob saying when he got to Egypt, instead of saying to uh, Joseph's son, let's go back home now. Let's go back home. But Joseph said, and Pharaoh as well, there's a parcel of land up here. It's called Goshen. It's a beautiful territory, a beautiful place. Well, let's just put you all up there. So Jacob and his family move to Goshen. Goshen is a nice place. Everything looks great. So instead of saying, son, let's go back home. After all, I am, I am the main patriarch here of the family. They decide to stay in Egypt. It becomes dangerous to get comfortable in Egypt. When you don't belong in Egypt, you belong in Canaan. Seventeen years later, Jacob dies. And the boys, they gather him together, his body, and they go back to Canaan to bury their dad in the family resting place, I guess we'll call it. The, fam- the, the whole group does not go back, just those that are going back to bury their dad. And then instead of, again, taking the whole family back home, they come back to dwell in Egypt. It's a dangerous thing to get comfortable in Egypt. Some 65 years later, Joseph dies. The Egyptians had this unique ability to embalm the body that others did not have. Usually when somebody died, you beard them that day. You read about that in Matthew, remember? of uh, Who was it? Ananias and Sapphira? No, that's not the right one. But anyway, whoever I'm talking about, bury them that same day. That is the ones, isn't it? But anyway, but all of those that should have stayed or should have returned to the land of promise, they said, we're going to stay here in Egypt. Now, one by one, Joseph did. They embalm his body and they leave it in Egypt. They don't take it back home. They leave it there. Although Joseph tells them before he dies, you're going to take my body back home, which they do. But anyway, that's a side story, I guess. But one by one, the sons of Jacob die 
and they, the people remain in Egypt. There's no leadership now. The older boys are gone. They're dead. Jacob's gone. The other older sons are all gone. Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, oh, Judah, Issachar, Zeth, all of them. It's dangerous to become comfortable in Egypt. And then as time progresses, Pharaoh dies. The Pharaoh that was so friendly. The Pharaoh that made Joseph governor of the country. And this new Pharaoh, he's a wise old feller. He realizes this great group up here in Goshen is multiplying exceedingly. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Exodus 1 and verse 7 that they increased abundantly. And he was thinking, they're going to get larger than we are. They're going to become more of them than there are of us. So he begins to appoint taskmasters to oversee them with his, their whips, and they become slaves to Pharaoh and causes them to build his buildings and whatever. The people of Jacob lose their identity. They are now slaves, slaves of Pharaoh, slaves of Egypt. Nobody stands out. Nobody is, takes the leadership. They're all mingled together as slaves. I say again, it becomes dangerous to become comfortable in Egypt. And while they have grown tremendously, they are under the control of the whip of the taskmasters. There are no sons now of Jacob to step forward and say, I'll take the leadership. I'll get us together. We'll go back to the land of promise. They are so comfortable in Goshen, they say, we'll stay right where we are. But it becomes a very dreadful experience, horrible experience. Now they go home at night with whiplashes, remains on their back. They go home now wishing that they had gone home when they should have gone home. That they'd gone back to the land of promise instead of Goshen becoming so attractive to them. Now they sit around the campfires in the evening because the older ones had told them, about the land of promise. They had related to them down from the generations what God had said to Abraham. This land is your land. This is the land that you belong in. This is the land that I'm giving you. You have forsaken your, his land. You have left your land. You have ventured over to the land of the aliens, to the Egyptians. You don't belong here. But how can they do otherwise? They have no leader. They have no means of getting out. So they sit around the campfires, I'm supposing, talking about the, what they had been told as children growing up. We don't belong here in Egypt, but we're slaves and we can't help it. They're beaten into submission by the taskmasters. They have feelings of helplessness. They have feelings of hopelessness. They have become slaves to Egypt. Slaves to Pharaoh, slaves to the whipmaster, the taskmaster with the long whips. Again, it's dangerous to become comfortable in Egypt. But in the, in the, thank God for his mercies. Thank God, look beyond my faults, Lord, and see my needs. Thank God that he looks beyond our ignorance and says, I'm going to love you anyway. You made a stupid decision, but I'm going to love you anyway. You went the wrong way, but I'm going to bring you back where you belong. 
In the eternal and loving and merciful plan of God, there was a man by the name of Aram. He was of the tribe of Levi, one of those sons of Jacob. He married his aunt, his father's sister, Jochebed. Married her and they bore a son, had a son. While the law of Pharaoh was, if a son is born, throw him in the river. If a son is born, kill him. Sounds like the abortionists of today. But for 80 more years, Israel, the people of Israel would be under the taskmaster's will. No telling how many would die because they would be beaten into servitude by the taskmasters. There was no love nor concern. They're just chattel. They're just something to use to build these buildings for the Pharaoh. But then... God speaks 80 years later to this young man, this boy, this baby that was born whom his mother saw was a proper child and hid him. You know the story. Put him in the basket and had the daughter of Pharaoh to find him and raise him in the palace until he got into trouble and had to leave 40 years later and flee to Midian. And then after there, 40 years, he had, a, had a, a, a sight, a vision, if you will, of a burning bush that wasn't consumed and a voice from heaven, God himself speaking to him, telling him, you're standing on holy ground, as Brother Seth referred to tonight. said, I'm going to send you back. For 80 years, the people have been crying in Egypt. Why did you stay there to begin with? God is merciful. God is merciful. These prodigals that are here, some have been backslid for years and years. Oh, God, wake them up tonight. Put sand in their shoes and gravel in their beds. Stir them and realize that God loves and God's merciful. And then God sends Moses back to confront Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. We want to go worship our God. You again know the story. Pharaoh refused after every plague, nine plagues, every time he said yes, and then he said no, or many times he did. And finally God said, Moses, there's one more, just one more plague, and they're going to be, he's going to let us go. Not only is he going to let you go, he's going to drive you out. He's going to be so glad to get rid of you. One more, one more plague. So God had a plan for Goshen. He had a plan for the people of Israel. And that's what we read tonight in our context. God said, choose a lamb. Choose a lamb. Every man needs a lamb. Every man must have a lamb. Every family must have a lamb. Choose that lamb. Examine that lamb. Choose it on the 10th day. It can be a lamb from among the goats or the sheep. It matters not where, what kind of lamb it is as far as that is concerned. But you've got to have a lamb. Keep it for four days. Kill it on that 14th day. Take the blood of that lamb and smear it on your doorposts and lintels. Roast it with bitter herbs Eat it with your loins girt, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand because you're going to go home tonight. You've been here long enough. You've been here too long. You shouldn't have been here to begin with. But my mercy says I'm going to take you back where you belong. But you've got to have a lamb. 
You'll never make it home without a lamb. You gotta have a lamb. Every family has to have a lamb. Every man has to have a lamb. Every family has got to be protected by the blood. My, my, can't, can't, can't you imagine those? I, I doubt if there was anybody among the people of Israel that did not do what Moses told them to do because I think by that time every one of them was sick and upset and disgusted with their condition. And Moses says, this is your hope. This is the only hope you have. You've got to have the blood. And when God says you've got to have the blood, what else can we do but get the blood? When God's word says you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name, what else can we do but be baptized? So they took the lamb. They roasted it. They ate it. They put the blood of it on the doorpost, the lentils. And at midnight, at midnight, there was a sound that must have echoed all the way into Goshen. It was in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh's firstborn was dead. From the king from Pharaoh down to the lowly peasant, the firstborn was dead. Even the cows were dead. And the sheep were dead, and the goats were dead, and the dromedaries were dead. The firstborn of every animal was dead. But in Goshen, mm -hmm. but in Goshen, we don't hear any wooing and woeing and crying of despair. If we hear anything, we hear rejoicing. We hear rejoicing and praising it's a new day. It's a brand new day. It's a new year. My family is safe. <laughs> the Lord passed over my house. The Lord saw the blood that I had applied and he passed over the house. It still works, folks. It's still applicable, folks. That was just a type, but there's an antitype. That was just a type, but there's an antitype. Those lambs that were slain and the blood who was applied on the doorposts and lentils was an antitype, or a type rather, of an antitype of a lamb that one day whose blood would be shed. We wouldn't apply it to our doorposts and lentils, but we'd apply it to our heart, to our spirit, to our life, to our family. So, speaking of years, let's fast forward about 1,500 years. And find the people, the people of Israel, well, they're not in Egypt, but I guess we'll say they might as well be. They're still taskmasters, just different. There's not a Pharaoh that's over them, but there's a Caesar over them. And Caesar has all kinds of kings and governors, and those that are overseeing are, are demanding the people of Israel to bow to the demands of Rome bow to the demands of Rome the people of Abraham are under the control of Rome or oh, they have the religious leaders of course that gather on the Sabbath day but they're, as Jesus said they're teaching their doctrine the commandments of men they don't know me they're just professing to know me the people are sitting in darkness and waiting for the light to shine they're disturbed they're confused they're all broken up. Paul speaking of us as Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Notice what he said about us, you and I. 
as Gentiles, and how applicable even this is to the people of Israel as well, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, that was me, and without God in the world, that was us. That, I don't belong here. You don't belong here. We don't belong in the promised land, I guess we'll say. We don't belong in Jerusalem, our capital. We don't belong in the family of God. But there is a master, a savior, one that loves us enough that he paid a pr- He took my place. And I can appropriate his blood that he shed on Calvary into my own life and into my own family and know the deliverance and the blessing. Paul didn't stop there with that verse. I know there was no commas and periods and whatever exclamation marks by the apostles. But anyway, Paul didn't stop at that verse. The next verse explains something. Paul didn't end with that verse 12. He says, but now, I like that, but now we were, we were in a condition of strangers having no hope without God, but now, but now, walls, but now. You were lost, walls, but now. You were an outcast, walls, but now. (laughs) You were without hope, walls, but now. You were lost, but now. You were blind, but now. I like but now. But now, in Christ, not in the church, not in an organization, not in a religious system, but in Christ. You who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh, how? By the blood of the Lamb. Let me read it that way. By the blood of the Lamb. In that dark day when it appeared that all hope was gone, there was a solution for our condition. The mercies of God stepped into my life. God caused a virgin to conceive a son who would be called Jesus, whose name means salvation. Some 33 plus years later, John describes for us something that took place which brought hope and that for which we are celebrating this week. Not just for one race or one family such as it was in Exodus chapter 12, but for all humanity who will appropriate the benefits that he purchased for us on Calvary. Jesus had decided he was on his way to judgment, on his way to crucifixion. And he said, I'm going to go spend some time with my friends in Bethany. So he goes to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house and spends some time, has a meal with them, has his, what is it, his feet that is washed at that time. But anyway, spends some time with them. And then notice what John says as he takes up the Uh, the event in verse 12 of chapter 12 of John. John says, on the next day, on the next day, much people were come to the feast. This is Passover feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now this is different because the Lord had been in Jerusalem many times, no no doubt. I know he was there when he was 12 years old probably. Uh, but he was also there when he was eight days old, as far as that's concerned. But what an event, what, a, what an interesting event is recorded by John 
the entry that Jesus made into Jerusalem is such an auspicious manner. Was the Messiah formally and officially presenting himself? Was the Lamb presenting himself? Was it the tenth day of the month? The Lamb's going to present himself as their Messiah. Here is your Lamb. If you will accept it, if you will acknowledge it, this is your way out. This is your redemption. This is your salvation. This is your blood that will cleanse sin from your life. Passover was one of the three main feasts that would bring the Jews together to Jerusalem. I want to quote to you from one well-known commentator by the name of Barclay. Listen to what he said. At such a time, Jerusalem and the villages round about were crowded. On one occasion, a census was taken of the lambs slain at the Passover feast. The number was given as 256,000. There had to be a minimum of 10 people per lamb. Remember what God said back in Exodus 12? If the family's too small, you got to get some more in here. We've got to have at least 10 to make up the, the number for the synagogue service. There had to be a minimum of 10 people per lamb. And if that estimate is correct, it means there must have been as many as 2,700,000 people at the Passover feast. Even if that figure is exaggerated, it remains true that the numbers must have been immense. You see, God knew what he was doing. He never makes a mistake. He didn't, uh, he didn't march in or ride into Jerusalem any other time except this time when there would be such a great complex and gathering of people to present to the whole nation of Israel, here's your, here's your lamb. Here's your lamb. Here's your lamb. Let me share another quote, please, kind of a long one. Sir Robert Anderson, he wrote a book called The Coming Prince. No student of the gospel narrative can fail to see that the Lord's last visit to Jerusalem was not only in fact, but in the purpose of it, the crisis of his ministry, the goal towards which it had been directed, after the first tokens had been given that the nation would reject his messianic claims, he had shunned all public recognition of them. But now the twofold testimony of his words and works have been fully tendered. His entrance into the holy city was to proclaim his messiahship and to receive his doom. Again and again the apostles even had been charged that they should not make him known. But now he accepted the acclamations of the whole multitude of the disciples and silenced the remonstrance of the Pharisees with indignation. The time of Jerusalem visit had come, and she knew it not. Long ere this, the nation had rejected him, but this was the predestined day when their choice must be irrevocable. Another thing to that's the end of quote. Another thing to consider about this day was that the law concerning the Passover lamb adds some interest, interesting interest. The Lord told Israel, "Choose a lamb from your flock on the tenth day of the month. Keep it till the fourteenth day. Kill it in the evening time. 
Take the blood, apply it to your doorposts and lentils, any kind of lamb. Doesn't matter as long as it's the right age. You can take it from the goats. You can take it from the sheep. Just take you a lamb. Every man, a lamb. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Just get you a lamb. Get you one from the goats, that'll be all right. Get you one from the sheep, that'll be all right. Just get you a lamb. Get you a lamb. <clears throat> but when it comes to our salvation, <clears throat> when it comes to the church, when it came to Calvary, <laughs> it's not just get you a lamb. Mm -mm. It's the lamb. It is now the lamb, the lamb of God, the lamb that wiped away our sins. This was the, the lamb whose blood would be shed, shed for the world, shed for all humanity, being chosen that day that would have be four days before Passover, Passover would be on Wednesday evening, would begin on Wednesday evening, which would make Jesus appearing in Jerusalem, marching into Jerusalem, riding that donkey, if you will, the colt of an ass, riding into Jerusalem on that Sunday, and the people praising him, crying out to him, the lamb is coming. <clears throat> I know your grandpa's and grandmas, they chose their lamb, but God's chosen this one. The Bible says in verse 13 of John 12, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him. And they cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. This is my interesting thing. Concerning the phrase, Hosanna. I've heard that. There's even saying about that, don't you? Hosanna. Piper, another commentator, said, if you look in a Greek dictionary to find what it means, you know what you will find? You find that it is really, really not originally a Greek word at all. The men who wrote the New Testament in Greek did the same thing to a Hebrew word that our English translators did to the Greek word. They just used Greek letters to make the sound of a Hebrew phrase. I know this sounds sort of complicated, but it's really not. Our English word Hosanna comes from a Greek word, Hosanna. It's kind of like hallelujah comes from a Greek word, hallelujah. Or, or a Spanish word, hallelujah. I have been the time past telling people where I was in a foreign country, I know two words in your language. Hallelujah, amen. They're the same. They're the same. I know this sounds complicated, but it's really not. Our English word Hosanna comes from a Greek word Hosanna, which comes, I like this, which comes from a Hebrew phrase, Hoshia na. Can y'all say that? Hoshia na. The old, that Hebrew phrase is found in one solitary place in, in the whole Old Testament. It's in Psalms 118 verse 25 where it means save, please. <laughs> it's a cry to God for help. Like when he says, like, like when somebody pushes you off the diving board before you can swim and you blah, 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 come up hollering, help, save me. 
Hoshia na. But something happened to that phrase, Hoshia na. The meaning changed over the years. In the psalm, it was immediately followed by the exclamation in the next verse, Blessed is he who comes in the name. <laughs> Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The cry for help, Hoshia na, was answered almost before it came out of the psalmist's mouth. And over the centuries, the phrase Hoshia na stopped being a cry for help in the ordinary language of the Jews. Instead, it became a shout of hope and exultation. It used to mean, it used to mean, save, please. But gradually, it came to mean salvation. Salvation. Salvation has come. <laughs> it, it, it used to be what you would say when you fell off the diving board. But it came to be what you would say when you saw the lifeguard coming to save you. It's the bubbling over of the heart that sees hope and joy and salvation on the way. And you just can't keep it in. Hoshia na. Hoshia na. Hoshia na. So, so Mr. Piper said, Hosanna means hooray for salvation. It is coming. Salvation. Salvation. And Hosanna to the son of David means the son of David is our salvation. Hooray for the king. Salvation belongs to the king. Not a lamb, the lamb. Woo! <laughs> Hoshia na. Y'all need to say that again. That sounds so good. Hoshia na. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it sounds right to me. Hoshia na. I'll spell it for you. H-O-S-H-I-Y-A. That sounds like Hoshia, doesn't it? And then that little word N-A. That sounds like na. So Hoshia na. Hoshia na. Hoshia na. The Savior has come. The Lamb has come. The lamb has shed his blood. The lamb has died. Every man, not a lamb, but the lamb. We all need the lamb. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. No, that's what happened in the olden days. A cousin or an uncle could redeem a nephew or whatever uh, from slavery if he had enough gold or enough silver. But took, it would take more than gold or silver to redeem me from my sins. Amen. No, it wasn't gold nor silver. But verse 19 says what it was that paid my price of redemption. Hallelujah. The lamb came. The lamb came for me. Someone said if I was the only one, the only sinner in the world, he would still have come. 
Now that makes sense because he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Oh, Lamb of God, I don't deserve it, but you came anyway. I don't belong here, but you call my name anyway. Hallelujah. With the precious, precious, that's valuable. You can't put a price tag on it. With the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. That baptizer by the name of John. John the apostle describes him for us in chapter 1 and verse 29 of the gospel of John. And John the Baptist, I think, is standing in the muddy Jordan. And I, I, I put in my notes, he points a bony finger. And I think that anybody would eat locusts and wild honey has got to have a bony finger. He's certainly not a fat preacher like me. Points his bony finger and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away. <laughs> He's coming to get baptized by me. He's getting ready to go into the wilderness and, and defy Satan himself. He's getting ready to minister for three and a half years. He's destined and he knows it. He's got to go to Calvary. He's going to be hung there, nailed there to that cross. His blood's going to be shed from seven different wounds from his body. Hallelujah. And he's going to take some of that blood. I don't know where he's getting it from. Maybe the cavity of his heart. He's going to take it into the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkle it on the mercy seat of heaven so I could be redeemed. I can be redeemed. I can be redeemed. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Please stand. Oh, Lamb of God, that taketh away the sin of the world. In Revelation 5 and 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I want to see him for myself one day. I want to bow before his throne. I know I tell him, I know this is probably weird to you, but so many times I say, Lord, in my limited and clumsy way, I love you. are limited and I am clumsy in expressing what I feel but God I love you Revelation 7 and 9 says this I and after this I beheld and lo <laughs> a great multitude like that day when he rode into Jerusalem which no man could number of all nations kindreds people and tongues stood before the throne. Why don't you come and stand before the throne tonight? And before the Lamb, <laughs> clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Hallelujah. Oh, what a day. in Revelation 12 and 11 John wrote and they overcame him 
How? By the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> Woo! Thank God. Behold the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Saturday.